ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Good morning. Welcome to AM. It's Friday the 22nd of December. I'm Sabra Lane coming to you from Nipaluna, Hobart. At least 14 people have been killed and dozens more injured in a mass shooting in the Czech capital of Prague. Local police say they've eliminated the gunman following the attack at the Charles University near Prague's Old Town Square. The Interior Minister says there's no indication the shooting was linked to international terrorism. Europe correspondent Steve Kinane reports. As gunshots rung out, there was panic in the streets of Prague. Students had been attending their last lectures before Christmas when the gunman opened fire at around 3pm inside the Faculty of Arts at Charles University. Professor Sergei Medvedev was teaching at the time. The special operation troops, you know, went storming in. They searched the room briefly and then went out. After which way, and they stayed out, to, uh, told us to stay inside. So I understood that uh, something big has happened. That uh, And then there was some shooting. Probably there was already shooting by the police forces, uh, liquidating the shooter. There were dramatic scenes in the city centre as students trying to flee the mass shooting were seen clinging to the side of one of the university's historic buildings. A group of young British tourists told the BBC they couldn't believe it when they heard shots being fired in the normally peaceful city of Prague. I remember the first one I sort of looked at Joe and I said, is that almost questioning myself? And then you then you heard then you saw people running and heard a few screams and you thought, can't be. You tell yourself almost because you, you see it on the news and you always think, no, I don't believe it. No, you always think uh, you're not going to be in it in that situation. And then you hear another one and another one. And we're like, and then we hear the police sirens and then it become clear that we need to get out of here. Chief of Prague's police force, Martin Vondrasek, said that the gunman was a 24-year-old student from the university who they believe killed his father earlier in the day. Uh, the police of the Czech Republic received information at 12.20pm that a 24-year-old man from the village of Estun was supposed to leave for Prague, confiding that he wanted to take his own life. At 12.45, we received information that a dead man was found in the same village, and we soon found out that he was the father of the suspect who committed this heinous act today. We found out relatively quickly he was a student of the Faculty of Philosophy police are yet to release the dead gunman's name. Gun violence is relatively rare in the Czech Republic and the country remains in shock. This is Steve Kinane reporting for AM. The Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, is going to visit communities devastated by the floods in far north Queensland today to see the damage following Cyclone Jasper. Members of the Woodjil Woodjil community are coming to terms with losing everything after floodwaters swept through their town earlier this week after the cyclone. The entire town has now been evacuated north to Cooktown. Toby Loftus travelled there and filed this report. United in song and grief, Woodjil Woodjil community members gather outside the Cooktown PCYC in far north Queensland, singing to pass the time. On Sunday night, floodwaters tore through the Indigenous town, about 170 kilometres north of Cairns, in the wake of ex-tropical cyclone Jasper. Just rain, rain, rain. Nearly didn't stop. It's strange for us. Kathleen Walker is a Yulanji elder, known around town as Nana Kay. She, like everyone else, had to be evacuated, flown north on a helicopter by the Defence Force to Cooktown. I want to go back home. 
I'm missing my home. My home, I'm homeless. I got nowhere to stay. Everything is all underwater. I bought turkey for Christmas dinner. Ham, it's all underwater. I'm a disability woman. What can we eat for Christmas dinner? How can I go back home? She's sleeping on a camp bed inside the town's PCYC, along with dozens of other residents. Some are staying in motels, caravan parks and the local school's boarding house. I'm here in a strange place, but um, I'm glad that I got a house to have a rest. I thank this community to helping us. Coraline Shipton was evacuated to the PCYC on Wednesday. We had plenty of floods before, but not as bad as this one. So um, once the water risen um, beyond the last floods, then it became a worry because it never stopped raining. It just kept raining and raining and raining. I guess next worry for us is the spread of infection. What else from here? Woodjul Woodjul Mayor Bradley Creek says health authorities are trying to stay on top of all health concerns. His daughter was born in Cairns yesterday while he was at the evacuation centre. It's a big relief knowing that everyone's in Cooktown now. I sort of can drop my shoulders a bit now and relax and go and get happy now that now that I've received the great news from my wife that's out above just now. While residents are gathering together in song, Coraline Shipton says they all just want to go home. We're refugees at the moment, mate. That's the main problem. We're refugees. When will the government, when will the politicians help? We just want to be home. Woodjul Woodjul resident Coraline Shipton ending that report from Toby Loftus. The damage bill from the floods will run into the billions. Stephen Jones is the Federal Assistant Treasurer and the Financial Services Minister. We spoke earlier. Stephen Jones, it's still very early in the aftermath of the cyclone and floods. I think insurance companies have received close to 4,000 claims so far. How quickly are they processing those claims? Look, the focus until now, Sabra, has been the emergency response, the initial emergency response. We're now shifting to the cleanup. I've spoken to the Insurance Council and they've told me that they'll have people on deck Um, Most of them have people on deck up there now talking to customers directly, but by next week all of them uh, will have a a presence in town. We expect those claims to be dealt with promptly, fairly and efficiently. And uh, I I take some heart from the way that has been dealt with in the recent flood event in Lismore. I think insurers have lifted their game, but um, I, I can guarantee your listeners that the government will be watching very closely. Yeah, some of the pictures coming out of Cairns and the surrounding areas show mammoth damage. Yeah, a lot of damage up there. And this, uh, the bill for this one will, will go into the billions. Um, important that we have close coordination between the federal government, the state government and the local authorities up there. We've all got to be working together and we need the insurance industry to have their assessors up there on the ground um, because there's going to be a a big call on local tradespeople to be involved in the cleanup as well. So first step, you know, emergency response. Second step, having those claims assessed. And then the, the third step is the rebuild. We also know, Sabra, that there's a lot of people up there who don't have insurance or who might be underinsured. Um, and we're working through what we can do to assist those people uh, as well to ensure that nobody's left uh, behind as we make the, the big clean-up effort. 
Yeah, how much of a problem is that? Due to cost of living pressures, many people have dropped their insurance or they're vastly underinsured themselves. Are they on their own? Well, that's what we're working through at the moment to ensure that there is some assistance so the immediate disaster relief payments have started to flow to impacted families up there at the moment, impacted businesses up there at the moment, and that will continue. Over the medium term, we've got to look at how we're dealing with insurance to ensure that uh, it's appropriately tuned to provide assistance and to cover for risks. What we're experiencing in Australia is a part of a a global phenomenon with uh, reinsurers and and global insurers starting to factor in the impact of climate change and the impact of uh, those severe weather events and the risks associated with them in insurance policies. So we've got to ensure that uh, as a government here in Australia, which is more affected than most, uh, we're putting in place the right sort of disaster resilience. Uh, That involves everything from the way we're building our infrastructure to where we're locating our suburbs and how we're designing our homes. Underinsurance is always a problem following big disasters. Is there a better way to help people estimate the true cost of their homes and possessions to avoid this issue? These are things we're working through. In fact, we made a start after the last election with our housing insurance partnership, uh, ensuring that we can uh, get better access to the data about what works uh, and make that available to consumers about the things that they can do to reduce their risks, to make their houses and their communities more resilient and have that reflected in their insurance premiums. Um, early days yet, a lot of work to be done on in this area, but we want to ensure just in the same way as if you put locks and bars on your windows, you get a reduction in your home and contents insurance, the sort of equivalent to making your house more resilient in the face of you know, severe weather events, uh, how that can affect your insurance premium as well. But over the course of the next year, we're going to have to look at um, insurance in this country and be very mindful of you know what's going on around the rest of the world as well. You're planning a town hall meeting in the next week or so in Cairns. What's the aim of that? We want to ensure that um, we're bringing the insurers together, we're bringing the local representatives together and uh, having all the information available to people. We want to get ahead of things, Sarah. We don't want to be in a situation where issues are coming up, complaints are coming forward uh, and we haven't preempted them. So we want to get ahead of things and ensuring that what is a, in a very difficult time for locals up in Cairns, they have all the information available to them. A $10 billion federal government reinsurance pool was set up to help insurers with the cost of cyclones, but that only applies for damage incurred in the 48 hours after the Weather Bureau declares a cyclone over. These floods happen mostly after that time frame. Is that a flaw with the program's design? Well, this is not the only reinsurance that uh, insurers have access to. Um, it was designed by the former government, legislated by us. We said we made a commitment that we'd bring it forward if we won the election. We've also agreed to put in place a review of that to ensure it's operating as intended. I want to stress that it'll have zero impact on people's eligibility for claims. If they were eligible for a claim last week, they're eligible for a claim this week. The reinsurance pool is an insurance arrangement between the government and the insurers to help reduce some of the costs that they pay for their insurance. It was never intended to offset all of the reinsurance costs. They still access global reinsurance markets for additional capital. Um, but look, we'll look at it, Sarah. We, we've committed to look at it to ensure that it's operating as intended. But I do want to call out, there's been a little bit of mischief going around. Um, 
not by the majority of insurers, but by some of them, trying to muddy the waters and you know, leave the impression that um, the reinsurance pool is going to impact people's eligibility for claims. That is simply not true. Insurers should just get on with the job of dealing with their customers in accordance with their policies. Stephen Jones, thanks for joining AM. Good to be with you. Financial Services Minister Stephen Jones. In Western Australia, firefighters have been battling significant blazes to the north, south and east of Perth. The danger is not over yet, with warnings of challenging conditions until Boxing Day. Emergency crews are yet to assess the damage, but have confirmed homes have been lost in the Perth Hills. Isabel Masali prepared this report. House is on fire, uh, unlikely to be saved over. Firefighters responded rapidly, but it was too late to save some homes in the Perth Hills. We need pumps immediately to have anything. Away from the danger at a community centre, Kath Denton is handing out chicken rolls to evacuees. She's trying to keep herself busy after escaping herself. I said to my husband, I can smell smoke with that. Heard the first lot of fire engines. We went out the back and all I could see almost in my face was a big orange ball of smoke. She says they're always prepared for a fire but this one was sudden and caught them by surprise. It just happened so quickly and the wind has been horrendous up there. Um, it's, it's very upsetting when you know Neighbours have lost their home. For Kath Denton and other residents here, it's an unwelcome reminder of the Parkerville blaze, which destroyed more than 50 homes nearly a decade ago. We got our chickens, my go- my, we got my dog, my mum and my sister as well. Okay. But they were all out? Just my sister was at home, just feeling unwell. And then she was calling me in tears, saying, come get me, come get me. And then got our auntie to go pick her up. Check the website one street away from our house and we were very close to the fires in 2014 as well. Shire of Mundaring President Paige McNeil says it'll be a difficult time for many and support programs will be rolled out soon. The Parkville, Stoneville and Mount Helena bushfire started in this same vicinity. We also had the 2021 Warraloo bushfire which burnt for a week. Both bushfires claimed many properties and, and so we will be here to help our community uh, in the recovery phase because these sorts of events do trigger uh, memories from the past. Authorities say Thursday's fire was caused by a tree falling onto power lines. And it's not just this blaze that has stretched emergency crews. In recent days, there have been multiple fires reaching emergency level from the coastal town of Lancelin and inland to Toojay, Further south, there's been fires in the Shire of Manjimup and Eton near Bunbury. We do send out messages through social media and the like for people to prepare their properties well in advance of the bushfire season. But due to the um, climate challenges we're experiencing right now, we're seeing that these periods of bushfire season extending and the severity and fast-moving pace of these fires increasing. She says that's why it's important for people to have a bushfire plan ready, even if you're heading away this festive season. 
If you're near a fire zone, check the Emergency WA website for updates and tune in to your local ABC radio station. That's Isabel Masali reporting there. It's been a year of growing cost of living pressures for many Australians, with charities reporting more and more people turning to them for help. Many groups have been preparing for the holidays, a time that can be particularly tough for families, and are making sure that people have a place to go this Christmas, as Nick Grimm reports. Since 1971, the Reverend Bill Cruz has been spending Christmas Day helping to feed those who might have nowhere else to go for a festive lunch. We start about 6am for anybody who hasn't got anyone to share Christmas with, and that's the homeless, the poor, the needy, the people who have lost partners, all of that. Those who are seeing Christmas Day as a nightmare. And over the years, he's seen the numbers turning up to the centre in the Sydney suburb of Ashfield steadily grow. This year, they're preparing to provide Christmas lunch to two to 3,000 people, but the need doesn't end there. The irony is... Every day here, we do as many meals as we were doing on Christmas Day four years ago. And every month here, we serve 50,000 meals. Yeah, so, so what used to be sort of like your biggest day of the year has become every day now. Almost, yes. It's been a hell of a year for so many people and everybody knows it. And in many ways, everybody's been through hell. Everything seems insecure. There's the economic insecurity so that people realise that life's pretty delicate at the moment. Have you noticed much of a change as a result of the, the cost of living struggle that many people are having? Enormous, enormous. Um, a typical thing happening here with us is a 60-year-old woman will turn up who's lost her job. She looks after a, um, a disabled son and she can't find another job and she's desperate and she says, I used to walk past here and see all the poor buggers lined up, never thought it would be me and here I am. Christmas is such a stressful time for a lot of Australians who are doing it tough financially. Peter Gartlan is acting CEO of Financial Counselling Australia. It's been a tough year for so many people and you can just see this through the amount of people requesting emergency relief and food banks are being overrung with requests and our own National Debt Helpline received this year 142,000 calls, which is 25,000 calls greater than last year. So absolutely there is, it is a big change and it's really impacting on people. And Peter Gartland says... It's affecting those who've never experienced financial difficulty in the past. The Debt Helpline has always received calls from people that are doing it tough with rental payments because rents have gone up. But we are seeing increasingly people that have a mortgage that are doing everything they can to make sure that they're paying on time. And that's often at the expense of other bills such as utilities and other bills. And Bill Cruz is encouraging everyone this Christmas to do what they can to help others who could be in the grips of that struggle. The first thing is to get out of your front door and say hello to your neighbours. The next one is to be grateful for what we've got because it could disappear overnight. The floods and the fires show us everything could disappear overnight. So what we've got (laughs) we need to be grateful for and share with others. And I think if that message got through, then the world would be in a much better place. The Reverend Bill Cruz from the Reverend Bill Cruz Foundation. Nick Grimm reporting there. That's AM for today. Thanks for your company. I'm Sabra Lang.